Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast. This is Lauren, and this is another recording from Twitter Space, which was on May 18th, 2022. So Tom, Stephen, Clint, and I brought on our friend Alan Corey, a.k.a. AC. He's incredible. He's written three books. He used to be a comedian. He used to live in New York. Now he lives in Atlanta. He has 19 units personally with his wife and 400 more in different syndications. We talked about starting out, house hacking, short-term rentals, and we got into a lot of conversation around debt, so much that we're gonna bring him back next week along with some others to discuss debt versus no debt, and it's gonna be a really good time. So hope you enjoy this one, and I hope you join us next week as well. Thanks a lot. So Alan, do you wanna open up like in about a minute and? kind of tell everybody and, and Steven especially, right? Because you guys haven't met before. So tell us all kind of a little bit about you. Um, yeah, my name is Alan Corey, otherwise known as AC. I never know how to explain myself because I, I do a little bit of everything on, in, in the real estate umbrella. Um, I've written three books um, that are personal finance related, fire related, real estate investing related. Um, I'm a team leader at EXP. I've got seven agents on my team. I am a partner in a mortgage company. I host two podcasts, The House of AC, which is for real estate investors, Agent Upgrade, which is for real estate agents. I'm a partner in a real estate private equity firm, which buys apartment complexes. I've done everything from new construction to condos, buy and hold, short-term rentals, vacant lots, single home portfolios. Uh, I, 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 I see something shiny in the real estate business. Uh, my ADD gets excited and I go after it. So that's, I, I'm 44. I've been doing this for 22 years and I, I can't get enough of it. Okay. So you and Steven are the same age, right? Steven, or are you 45? Thanks, Lauren. Uh, I forgot. <laughs> no, your last tweet is your 44, Stephen. Well, uh, technically, I'm 39 in five years. Is how I like to define it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, it's um, funny too because I. <laughs> well, I think Clint's the same age too, so that's just kind of funny. That's that's awesome, Alan. That the, uh, so you're a real estate agent on a team. You've written books. You've got multiple <laughs> podcasts. Um, how many? So how many units like are you partially in control of or fully in control of? Um, yeah, so uh, it, it my just personally, my my wife and I, we've got 19 units, but I've got two other partners that uh, we sort of scaled up, and um, you know, collectively we've got 400 doors uh, and over that, and, and acquiring more every single day. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Stephen, do you have questions for AC before I? Uh, yeah. So ex- explain the 400 doors. Uh, that has to be a new record. I've never heard of anyone having that many doors. Oh, I mean, uh, when I started entering this world of apartment building, I feel like I have the fewest number of doors when I everyone I'm buying from or talking to. Yeah, so um, it's it's apartment syndication, and what that is is I, I do the residential side of commercial real estate, which you know five units and above is technically commercial real estate, so you have to get commercial loans. What's what I learned is sort of as I was growing my portfolio that I maxed out the 10 mortgages in my name and my wife's name. Um, I still wanted to buy more real estate. So commercial real estate is the way to go uh, if, if you come across that problem. And what's great is once you get commercial loans, they don't 
look at me uh, and my personal finances anymore to get a mortgage. They strictly look at the deal. So if the deal pays for itself, it's much easier to get approved. And they have no problem with you passing around a hat to raise money and raise funds to uh, purchase the property, renovate the property. There's no sort of seasoning in your bank account statements to see, you know, where did this down payment come from? They understand it's a business and business has a bunch of investors in it. And so uh, my partners and I, we are uh, all on the GP side. So when these commercial deals are usually structured with GPs and LPs, GP stands for uh, general partner that makes all the decisions, uh, what you buy it for, do the due diligence, the property management, when we're going to sell it, are we going to refinance it? You're controlling the real estate. Um, and then the LP side, it's a limited partner, and that's all your investors, people who've given money to you to pull off these deals. So when people like Grant Cardone says, I've got $10 billion of real estate, what he's saying is I control $10 billion of real estate because he's on the GP side, but he probably has 5 10% uh, ownership, uh, maybe up to 20%, uh, depending on the deal, but he's bought all those properties with other people's money. Um, and so that's really how you kind of scale up uh, when, when you just can't afford to do it all yourself anymore. But it didn't start there. What did you start with? Yeah, so I started uh, with a one-bedroom condo in Brooklyn, New York, uh, right after 9-11 when everyone was trying to leave the city, scared to death, found the only apartment that was under $100,000. I say that it was, it was the cheapest apartment I could find, which was $110,000. And I negotiated them down to $99,600 because uh, I, I, all I had was a $10,000 um, in my pocket for a 10% down payment at the time. And I took that one bedroom, turned it into a two bedroom and rented it out, house, house hacked. And then I set a goal to buy a property, one property a year, every single year so that I could leave my day job. 12 months later, I bought a duplex uh, right down the street. That was FHA, uh, $430,000, but um, I moved in. Uh, it was two, three bedrooms on each side. Uh, I, I was a stand-up comedian at the time, so I had five comedians move in. We called it the House of Clowns. I was charging each person about 650 bucks a room. After mortgage expenses, I was getting paid uh, to live in this house hack for $2,000 profit every single month. And um, that's when I fell in love with real estate. House hacking. That's a, that's how it should always start, I think. So can we, yeah. can we just get the your, your definition on that? Uh, you see uh, a lot of people ask, what does house hacking mean? I'd love it if you could explain that for us. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, well, I, I guess it wasn't termed house hacking. Brandon Turner had, did that like five years later. But the way I look at it and why I sort of teach it now is, is you – it works best if you visualize a small multifamily, which is um, you get a low down payment residential loan for a quad, a triplex, duplex, or a single family. You live in it with very little down payment, 3.5% is this FHA loan for owner-occupied purchase, and then you rent out part of the house. It could be the other unit entirely. It could be that you rent out some extra bedrooms that cover your mortgage. You have roommates. You know, I was 22 at the time. So having roommates is very acceptable in New York City. Uh, it probably still is uh, even your entire life in New York City. But that, uh, I, you know, I wanted to live with my friends anyway. So it was perfect. They were already paying 500, 700 bucks to live somewhere else. And I was like, let's just all live in the same house. And so from there, that's that's what I did. So yeah, it, 
if you can't find that small multifamily, you could do it in a single family and then just get roommates or put your extra spare bedrooms on Airbnb. And, you know, sort of what Lauren does, and, and um, I, I coined this um, short shifting. I don't know if it's going to stick, but uh, I love that Lauren does uh, almost takes us a step farther where, you know, and I have friends who also will, will have a duplex um, and then they have got some Airbnb rentals. Then they've got a RV in their driveway. All of these up for rent, all of these up for short-term rentals, whatever one's vacant, you're shifting between short-term rental to the next and sort of short shifting all the way around. Uh, and um, so that you're, you are filling the vacancy and then you're renting out all the other units kind of thing. So it's the same mindset as what I'm sort of seeing now with all the Airbnb. Because when I first got started, Airbnb was, was, was not invented yet. Yeah, so that's like, that's, I love the start, right? Because we're talking about a $99,000 condo in New York to now being, you know, impartial control or control of over 400 units, right? And that's what I think people sometimes lose sight of is we talk in these spaces every week, you know, I have 12 doors, Tom has 20, Clint, I think, has eight, right? And so even that can seem like a lot, but it all, it all started with one, for us. And I think for, at least for me and Tom, I know it started with house hacking. Yeah. I mean, that's the fast track. Uh, any real estate investing deal, house hacking is the biggest fast track. Uh, so if anyone out there wants to get started all day, I'd recommend that. It's the cheapest money to borrow and it's the highest return right off the bat. And uh, if you can rent and repeat and do that every single year, buy one property every single year, buy a new one uh, with owner occupied loan, low down payment, cheap money to borrow. And in five years, you're going to, you're going to have enough to retire off of, have enough passive income. My book, my most recent book is House Fire, uh, Financial Independence Retire Early. Sort of the way I reached retirement was I looked at every single bill in my life and I said, I want a house and that house is going to pay for that bill. So uh, my internet bill and phone bill combined were about 150 bucks. There, this was a bill I knew I would never escape for the rest of my life. I have to, um, you know, always pay these bills. I can't go to Costco and buy it in bulk uh, and, and, and upfront. I can't get a lifetime supply of internet and phone access. So, and uh, what I did, you save up $20,000, go find a house that's $100,000, and those exist in every single state. So before you guys tell me there's no such thing as a $100,000 house, I just uh, owned I have 50 of them and I just sold them a couple months ago. So $100,000, they're all under $100,000. So my single family home portfolio, uh, they do exist. They're out there and they're all cash flowing. But anyway, I, I would take each one of those houses and hundred was $150 cash flow. That house paid for my internet bill. Okay, let me go to my car note. I'm not going to pay off the money on my car note. I'm going to buy a house that pays off my car note. That way that I keep the money. And I'm not giving my money to uh, Elon Musk because I've got a Tesla. I want to keep my money, put it into a house. That house pays Tesla the car note until it's paid off. And then in five years, the car is paid off. I still have my car and I still have my money and I still have my house. That's cash flowing. And then I went to my, how much money do I spend on food every, every week um, and every month? Okay, I need to get two houses to cover that bill. And then I'd save up $20,000, go buy another house, save up $15,000, buy a house, save up twenty. And what I was doing is I just bought all these little tiny ATM machines, these little uh, money trees that just spit out 100 bucks here, 150 bucks there. But once I got to about six of them, they covered all my bills for me. And uh, now I just 
the way I think is, hey, I want to go on this crazy vacation or I want to go buy this fun toy. Uh, okay, what property do I need to buy to pay for that? And so all my bills are always covered by cash flow. And um, that that mental sort of switcheroo in my brain to look at real estate, it wasn't like risk, like, oh, I'm so scared. I can't buy another piece of property. It's so much work. The risk was, man, I'm going to stay in my nine to five job if I don't do that. And that's risky because I'm going to pull all my hair out and be completely stressed and hate myself. So it seemed to be less risky to kind of go uh, the real estate method. And, um, you know, I, I can walk down the path of, of, of that as well. But uh, I'm, I'm a big proponent of debt. I love debt. And pretty much I love the opposite of whatever Dave Ramsey recommends. Yeah, I knew Clint was going to throw an emoji on that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Clint, hey, Clint, how's it going? Infinity for debt now, would you? <laughs> I uh, The most exciting part of my day in the last two days was finding out that I'll probably, depending on how the appraisal pans out, get about four hundred to $450,000 in debt on a couple properties that I'm about to close on. And that's HELOC space above the mortgage. So all I, these are properties I bought three years ago. So similar to Alan, these were pre-sale condos, bought them three years ago, uh, practically doubled in value and the bank's willing to give me that extra debt. And it makes me happy like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> I love that. And then like debt is something in real estate where it just kind of has to do with whatever your tolerance is. And I think that's fine. I just definitely agree, AC, that we shouldn't be thinking debt is bad, debt is bad, debt is bad. I mean, uh, credit card debt, okay, that's bad. You know, there you can use it. it. It's so valuable for what you can use it for. What, what people don't understand is, is wealthy people think of debt. Like, like Elon Musk, whatever, he's got $100 billion, right? He's not buying Twitter. We're all on Twitter right now. He's not saying, let's look at my bank account and buy Twitter. He's, he's selling um, his Tesla shares on margin, saying, I want to keep my Tesla shares. They're going to go up. I want to borrow, get a loan on that on those Tesla shares so I can buy Twitter. Um, and so that's how he's thinking. He's like, I want to keep my Tesla shares. I don't want to sell them. If I sell them, I pay taxes. I want to get borrow against them and go buy something else. And then now he's bought Twitter or in the process of potentially it's going to happen. But if he buys Twitter, then guess what? He doesn't lose $44 billion because now he can loan against the collateral of Twitter shares to go buy another company. Like that's, that's just the, the method. And so um, that's, that's definitely the, the wealthy way of thinking is leverage, leverage, leverage. It's actually diversifying, right? Um, it's risky to have all your things in one basket, have all your things in Tesla shares. Now he's got Tesla shares and he's leveraged it into uh, Twitter shares and he's going to leverage it into whatever shares that, you know, the next project he has. Yeah, that's a great example. Alan, with your loan to value that you try and target, I think that's one of the most important parts with leverage and debt is to know your limit. You don't want to go 100%. What are you targeting for your loan to value? Uh, I try to put as little money in every single deal as I possibly can. That the reason for this is, you know, well, sorry, caveat, until it stops cash flowing. Like I would never buy a property if it wasn't cash flowing. So as long as it's cash flowing, I want to put as little down as possible. I'm trying to think if I had a, um, my lowest, you know, that 50, so I bought a, that 50 home portfolio, portfolio I was talking about. That was 10% down seller financing note. And that, that was amazing because the way I look at it is 
let's say someone has a hundred thousand dollars and you can go buy one house for a hundred thousand dollars. Um, or you can chop that up and buy five houses with $20,000 down payment each, uh, 20% down. I would love to spread it out for, you know, 10 houses for $10,000 each, but you'll see the example that I'm, I'm painting in a minute. And so why I like that, why I think that actually reduces risk is I say every property that I own comes with an imaginary lottery ticket. And what that imaginary lottery ticket is, is tremendous appreciation, things that are outside of my control. I have no crystal ball. I'm not a smart real estate investor. I've just uh, have lottery tickets all up and down the East Coast, the United States. And so what happens is that a new park comes in or, you know, in my case, I had a property in Brooklyn. There's a, a, a my duplex in Brooklyn and the Brooklyn Nets moved in. I had no idea the Brooklyn Nets were going to be there. When I, I moved in Brooklyn, when uh, Brooklyn was not cool, no one wanted to be in Brooklyn. I was only there because that's the only thing I could afford. It was all five boroughs, the cheapest place uh, I could find was this $99,000 place. Um, but the, the duplex was 430. But um, once Brooklyn, you know, blew up, that that lottery ticket uh, cashed, and uh, I sold that for two million dollars to a movie celebrity. So uh, it, that would not have happened if I didn't do exactly what Clint was saying, um, because I actually bought that with zero percent down. Now that I think about it, because I took the HELOC from my property, it was uh, three hundred thousand dollars. I put it down on that on another property. A million dollar property and this was I'm, I'm merging like three stories here but they were all on the same block i also bought another uh, property on that same block um for now that i'm talking it through 100 percent down because it was 30 percent from my heloc i borrowed 70 percent. it was still cash flowing and that property also doubled in value uh when the brooklyn nets moved in so what i like to do is let's spread this out let's not put all of our eggs in one basket because if i put a hundred thousand dollars in one house tie it off in all cash and the real estate market goes up 10%, well, I made $10,000. If I spread that out over five properties and it goes up 10%, I made $50,000. If I spread that out over 10 properties, I made $100,000. So, you know, so I'm trying to pull out my money as much as I can, reallocate it, get more of these imaginary lottery tickets that may or may not happen. Now, some people are saying, well, what about if the market goes down? You are creating all this risk. So if the, you know, that works great if the real estate market goes up, but what if the real estate market goes down? And I say, well, I bought all these things that are cash flowing. And just because the real estate market goes down, it doesn't mean that person who's locked into a 12-month lease gets to renegotiate their lease to a lower amount. Like, that, that doesn't happen. There, there's a 12-month lag for renters, and usually it's a larger economy issue that would drop the housing prices, which means people have lost their jobs and they've lost their own primary residences. So it actually creates more renters and more demand for renting. So typically, all you know, it all sort of just flat lines. It doesn't necessarily drop. I don't think anyone's ever, um, I've never anyone heard a story about them, their drop, their rent ever dropping in price uh, over all the ups and downs we've had over the last 22 years. Worst case scenario, I've just kept all my rentals the same and everyone's renewed. So with the leveraging and the refinancing and HELOCs and things like that, how big of a deal are interest rates? That's kind of the top of, top of everybody's mind right now. I, I don't, I don't really care about interest rates. All I care about is it's going to is it the, the cash flow. Is it cash flowing on day one? Um, and like obviously, if I'll shop around to get the lowest rate. But um, my first property was seven and a half percent 
and I was dancing in the streets. I got the lowest, I shopped around and got the lowest rate and got seven and a half percent. This was you know, 22 years ago. When my parents bought their first house, it was 14%. And when their parents bought their house, it was 20%. So it's, it's all numbers. It's just a spreadsheet, right? So I, I would never not buy the property because of the interest rate. I, I would not buy a property because the numbers don't make sense on a spreadsheet. And you got to remember, you know, people have been real estate investing for hundreds and thousands of years, and we've had all sorts of real estate uh, interest rates, and it hasn't ever paused people from real estate investing, right? It, it's, it's still out there. It still exists. And um, it's not something that I even monitor or care about outside of putting it in as a value in my financial models to see what, you know, sort of numbers spit out. Um, Alan, what's the, if I was renting right now and I didn't have, obviously I didn't have a property. What was, what, what do you think the minimum would be that I need to start the game that you are doing? Do you have zero dollars? Uh, no. Zero loonies? Uh, zero, what? zero loonies. Okay. Uh, I, I sense like, a Canadian accent I can start, Could I start yeah. with 10,000 or do I, yeah. would, in today's market, do you think I need more than 10? No. So, so well, this is what I would recommend. One, it's rental arbitrage. Um, so, you know, I have someone who's, rent, I had someone uh, renting uh, my triplex, all three units of my triplex. She lived in Iceland. And these properties were in Atlanta and she just had them on Airbnb. She had a team and everything. And I, you know, I had a conversation with her and I was like, I know you're making more money than I'm charging you. Like either I could put you out of business and I just do it on Airbnb or I can, you know, raise the rents on you and you can keep Airbnb in it until it doesn't make financial sense for you because I don't know how much money you're making, but you're making more money than me and you're running this enterprise from a different country. Um, and so that is something, if, if you ever put up a house for rent, every time I put a unit up for rent now, um, the first 10 calls are people saying, hey, um, I was wondering, I, you know, I saw your rents is for, for $2,000. Um, can I, um, you know, would you sublet it to me to allow me to run uh, Airbnb out of it? I'll, try, I'll pay you $2,200. And uh, depending on the property, I'll say yes or no. So I make an extra 200 bucks. I know this uh, entrepreneurs out there making a bunch of money and, you know, I talk to them. They've got 10, 20 properties. They don't own any of them. They just managed the Airbnb. They got a lease and then they're leveraging that lease to get all this cash flow. So that is a huge hustle to maybe take, if you've got $10,000 down payment, to go turn that into $20,000 down payment. But what I would do is if you want to really, really buy and own your own property, um, it starts with talking to a mortgage lender. Um, a mortgage company and, and I'm a partner at jasminemortgageteam.com, a quick sales pitch if you want to go to jasminemortgageteam.com. But um, they will look at your, every mortgage company is going to look at um, your income. They don't care about your assets. You can have $10 million um, sitting in the bank and you will not get a mortgage uh, because all it matters is does your income cover the mortgage amount? That's, that, that's all they, they're going to care about. So um, what you would want to do is talk to any mortgage lender. They're going to look at you and say, 
uh, look at your finances. This is what you need to do your credit score if you want to get a better interest rate or I want, you know, if you want me to get more money. Or this is what you need to do your income. You need to have $10,000 more on your tax returns next year. And um, or, you know, this all cash side hustle that you're doing, put it on your tax returns and then I can count it. And I can give you more money. Um, a mortgage banker wants to give you money. That's their business. So be an open book. Tell them what you got going on, and they're going to say, well, the way I can earn your business is if you do X, Y, Z, and then you can go, you know, have a $100,000 pre-qualification letter or two hundred dollars or three hundred, dollars whatever it may be, and they're going to give you a clear path. And you can also, you know, take it as a consultation and be like, what, what do I need to do to get a $500,000 property? And they're going to say, well, Stephen, you need to make this amount of money each month, and I need to see it on your tax returns for one year or two years or three years. And, um, and it's, they just walk out a plan for you. It, it, it's so nice to just talk to mortgage brokers and say, how much money can you give me, and what do I need to do to get more money? And, and they just lay out this, the, the, the four-step process, the one-step process, the five-step process, whatever it is, and, and that's that's how you grow. Like, go get that money. Go get that debt. And then what I do as soon as I walk out of a closing on the property, I walk back to the mortgage lender and say, okay, what do I got to do now? I know. I, I tweeted about this recently where I said so many questions can be answered if you were to talk to a mortgage broker. People will message me. So I have this primary and I have this much money and this is how much I make. And how should I get my second? How should I get a rental? And I'm like, did you call a mortgage broker? I mean, you can you can lay out all like everything. Guests kind of tell them about what your credit score is and everything, and they will tell you like straight up. And like you said, they want you to be able to buy. Yeah, that's their business is selling you money. So uh, why, they're not going to throw you out the door and say no, don't call me again. They're going to say call me when you've done this, and then then we can be of help. Right, exactly. Clint, I saw you on mute for a second. Do you have a comment? No, that was a that was an error. I meant to just do one of the smiley faces or hearts. The I, I, I do, Alan, at some point, and Lauren maybe just planted in the back of your mind for when it's the right time, wanna uh, dive into Alan if you're comfortable talking about GPLP structures, how you're doing it, promote versus no promote, raising money with investors. If someone's new and they want to get into the GPLP game, how do you recommend they do that? Uh, that is an area I am very excited to learn about tonight. Yeah, sure. Um, so <laughs> happy to jump in. Uh, I'm an open book. The um, There's no one way of doing this. Um, I always kind of look at commercial real estate as a wild, wild west, and that is from how a deal is fun and negotiated, how the brokers act, how the lender acts. It's just um, no one-size-fits-all kind of thing. So, um I think I probably operate like everyone else. It just is deal specific. Um, typically, um, the way it comes in is, hey, let's say we got um, a, the, the terminology in the commercial world for a fixer upper an apartment complex is value add. So if you ever see value add, that means it's a fixer upper. The business play is, hey, I'm gonna buy this property. Typically you get a bridge loan for about two years and, and then uh, the commercial owner is gonna give you money to renovate as well as part of that loan, interest only for two years, you fix up the property. And then after two years, it's, it's, it's essentially a burr. You've increased the value of the property and then you cash out, uh, refinance at that point. And typically that's, that's a big windfall that, that's tax-free. What's great about that is commercial uh, apartment buildings, it's 
it's a business that you're getting loans on. So they're not looking at comps. So they're not saying, well, the other 20 unit apartment building across the street sold for this. Like no one, no one really cares like, what, what appraisals are in the commercial world. All they're going to say is how much money is this thing's making? So if I am charging for a parking spot or I, I put extra storage units in the basement and I'm charging 50 bucks extra, all of this extra stuff increases the income, the cash flow, the net operating income, which the value of the building is going to be appraised on. So every single dollar counts. You can also do it on expenses, lowering all the expenses, you know, solar power or water taps or whatever you can to kind of uh, lower the water bill. Um, and so all these sort of things come into play to determine the value. So uh, back to the GPLP structure. So typically, if it's what we call a heavy lift, something that needs a lot of sweat equity, a lot of work, um, you know, I'm not picking up a hammer anymore. Um, I, you know, I got a crew that comes in and do, does it. It's just a line on, on the spreadsheet. And um, if, if it's a heavy, heavy lift, then we'll set up the GP typically about 30 uh, percent uh, because we're, we're doing a lot more work. Um, and then that means we own 30 percent of the property and uh, then we raise the money, all if, if we can, 100 percent of the money to purchase and renovate the building and get approved for the loan. And you have the reserves and all that. Uh, the 70 percent of the LP limited partners uh, chip in and uh, what Right now, it's just we're not we don't advertise our deals. It's just we have some friends and family and internal capital we've done from last deals, things like that to kind of go do it le le legitimately, because if I were to ever advertise that I'm doing a deal, uh, whether on Twitter spaces or send out an email saying, hey, I'm raising money for these things. Then it becomes an SEC regulated thing, and I can only talk to accredited investors. It's got to go all these extra hurdles and humps, and that's probably a goal I have in the near future. Uh, but right now, we're 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 learning the ropes. Their first 400 uh, doors here um, uh, with just internal capital and and uh, friends uh, and family uh, sort of um, funds. And for everyone's listening here, it's being like, well, that must be nice. I did not come from a wealthy family, but what I had done is I've had 22 years of real estate experience and I get five calls a day of people calling me saying, Alan, I want to give you money to invest in real estate for me. So um, if anyone wants to get in that position, just keep doing what you're doing. People are going following you. People are taking notice. You know, I started with a one bedroom condo in Brooklyn, went to a duplex in Brooklyn, and then I just haven't looked back from there. A bunch of single family homes that are thirty thousand dollars each, and then you know, one that was forty thousand dollars each here over here, and just constantly in the business. And uh, you you create a reputation for yourself, and and you go from there. So to bring it back to something that's um, stabilized, this is something. Uh, this is a commercial deal apartment complex that doesn't need any work. Someone's already renovated it. It's fully occupied. You're just buying it, buy and hold. A typical buy and hold is called stabilized. That doesn't need as much heavy lifting, doesn't need as much work. So then uh, the percentage will probably be uh, on the GP side, 15% to 10%, maybe 5% if it was just super luxury and, and brand new. And then I'll raise money for the rest. And then I'm, I'm holding it and controlling it, still being the property manager and things like that. Uh, so it, it all depends on the deal, how much work is going to be needed, how we chop it up. And, and, all, and, and you know, the, the deal will, will, will play out the, the terms from there. Okay. Does that answer um, your question? <laughs> yeah, 100%. So, Alan, when you're talking about, and this is, of course, because I'm something I'm super interested in, when you're talking about 
obviously makes total sense. And just in case anybody's unaware, uh, single family homes and then two, even two to four unit buildings or properties are appraised based on comparable sales in the area. Anything above that is what we're calling like a commercial property. And that, so anything from five to way bigger than that is going to be based on income. So Alan, my question is for S like for STRs, how does that income work? Like why should you not take every LTR you have, switch it to an STR and sell it for more? Okay. So um, a resident, well, a short-term rental is, it's not going to get a loan from a um, residential bank. So it would have to, you would have to get a commercial bank loan to look at it. Typically, you'll need um, at least a T12. This is the trailing 12 months of income showing how much that money makes uh, to get a commercial loan for it. I think you could probably get away with that if there, it comes with a license that says, I'm allowed to do short-term rentals in this town. We've passed regulation and I'm following the rules because then you're running a business. Um, typically, there's some little gray areas. You could probably get a hard money loan for it. A lot of banks don't want to do it because every town is sort of rolling out new policies saying, you can't do short-term rentals in this neighborhood or this type of property or on this block or you have to have a license and you have to have, you know, some sort of, um, you have to live here. You have to be an owner. Like Atlanta just passed these laws. You can only have two. One has to be your primary residence and one, um, and then you're allowed to one other, but you have to live in Atlanta and both those properties have to be in Atlanta as well. So it's one of those things where I don't think a business would take that risk unless it's already been to, to buy it at that higher value value unless it's it's vetted and you have the licensing just like you would go buy a fast food restaurant a commercial property or something like that they've got a food license they've been in business the uh, health inspectors have approved it all that stuff so um i would say that's 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 where you got to get to to really kind of cash out on those yep yep makes sense all right go ahead steven and hey everybody just to reset the room really quickly we're um talking obviously everything real estate we've covered a lot of really awesome topics tonight we started at nine eastern this is recorded it will be on the adulting is easy podcast feed in a couple of days and we're going to go till about 10 30 eastern or so go ahead steven okay lauren i'm going to show off some mad math skills here alan you're 44 years old and you've been in real estate for 22 years. It means you started when you were 22. And you're more than fire capable at this time. How old were you when you kind of crossed that, hey, I can cover all of my expenses with my real estate income? Yeah, so I, I this was covered in my first book, uh, A Million Bucks by 30. Um, I actually had a retirement party. Looking back at it now, I was probably a bit of a smug asshole for doing that. But um, I, at my day job, I threw myself a retirement party at the age of 28 and um, uh, quote unquote retired because I, I had all my bills covered and I was completely fired. And then what I realized is um, once I quit my day job, I was bored as hell because all my friends had day jobs. Everyone I knew had day jobs. And I, I just went to the gym for three hours a day and because I was bored and it was miserable. And then uh, you know, I was like, oh, just firing was not, should not have been my goal. And so um, 
I, I, that, that should be a lesson to all of you. Like, it, it just seems like you're just going to travel on vacation all the time. You're not going to go to your day job that you hate, but you still need to have a hobby or something that excites you. To, that, that, so you're not just laying in bed till noon or uh, drinking uh, uh, by yourself until your friends come home from work. Um, because I was like, hey, let's go to happy hour. You know, when, when you get off work and, and like your friends don't want to go to happy hour every single day after work, uh, even though you do because you haven't seen anyone. Um, so um, I was sort of in this weird uh, privileged uh, prison uh, of my own doing. And so uh, it, it, honestly, my first two years uh, kind of sucked as fire. And then the financial crash happened. And so uh, I was I was like, OK, I need to sort of level set, reinvent myself and then try to, you know, figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. That's awesome, man. Like so many good gems there. Tom, are you able to speak yet? Or are you used? To- yeah, yeah, I am. I'm here. I want to know. Yeah. So can you cross reference this with your experience? Cause you just retired in January this year. So I'm not going to the gym three hours a day, but I'm doing a solid two hours a day. Uh, so yes, I can 100% relate. I'm a little bit bitter because I went on Alan's show with him and he made me talk for 45 minutes and I didn't get to hear all this great knowledge. So this is exciting for me. So thank you, Alan, for sharing this because these are all things that I'm going through. Yeah, that that's all I wanted to add. Well, I, I think you're doing it right, Tom, by, by, by just... Helping others was sort of what I, I, I turned to, right? writing books and teaching other people how to do it. And that gave me an activity to do every single day and continue learning. So, uh, you know, what, what, what you're doing and, and what you're promoting out there, I think that's a good use of time. It keeps your, your mind sharp. It, it, gets, it, it opens up new doors. Like everyone on this Twitter space is everyone that has a Twitter handle that's, that's tweeting about real estate investing. Um, I tell people that's like... Um, the best business card that you can have. Who knows what's going to happen down the line? Sometimes it could be a neighbor that says, I got a house for sale or it's someone that comes to you. Like I became a realtor because I had uh, about 20 friends come to me saying, Oh, we want you to be my realtor. We, we, you do all this real estate stuff. And I was like, no, real estate agents are idiots. I, I know more than all of them. And they're like, yeah, we want you to be my real estate agent. And I was like, all right, I, I guess. And then I loved being a real estate agent. I became one of the best, real, one of the top real estate agents in Atlanta. And I got this big team. And I was like, wow, that would never have happened if I didn't have some, you know, that was never naturally going to occur to me. But because I was talking about real estate online and to other people and in my books, um, people came to me with ideas. And so uh, it, it'll be really interesting Tom, to see what, to where, where your path leads. Uh, because now all sorts of doors are opening up that I, I couldn't even envision one year ago, much less 20 years ago. You are speaking to me so much right now, I see, because people are coming to us like, so how do I invest in your next, you know, your next project? Because we did this like big remodel or this and that. And people are like, why aren't you a real estate agent? And you should be a real estate agent. I'm like, God, I just... I've never, I'm never super impressed. Right. And so it's just so funny. Like everything you're saying, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I feel that. <laughs> yeah. And and I have a way new respect for real estate agents once I got in the game. Like there's, there's people who are really good at primary resident uh, buying real estate agents who never deal with investors. So that's why they don't have the knowledge, you know? So uh, it doesn't mean they're bad at their job. It's, I was, trying to hire the wrong person for the wrong job. And I was frustrated. And I think that's a lot of times why, why real estate agents get a bad rap. 
Totally agree. We had um, Chris Perry on last week, who is a real estate agent in like the DC area. And he was like the top 3% or something in his, his whole brokerage, like 95,000 realtors or something. And we talked with him in, in depth and, and that's recorded. Um, everybody, it's on the Adulting is Easy podcast feed if you want to to listen to that. Um, and if you have questions for anybody up here or particularly Alan, please let us know. I actually, we have a speaking request right now that I'm going to grant while you all think a little bit. Then Marianne, she has a question, doesn't she? I invited Marianne up. So Marianne does um, real estate spaces with Mary um, on Tuesdays. So I invited Marianne up actually when I saw her in the group just to see if she happened to have a question or anything to add. She's um, in Spokane and she's a real estate agent and um, investor and familiar with SDRs and all of that. So I thought she might have, I preemptively brought her up in case she had questions. Well, I just want to say thank you for letting me join your space and speak. It's a, it's always a pleasure to be here with you and I find it quite fascinating. I'm just kind of lurking in the background right now, listening to you talk, and I love it. Uh, I've been a, a realtor for 27 years. Um, I'm the past president uh, in 2013 of our local association, a past NAR director. I bleed realtor, but I also um, am a developer. My last project was a 12-plex, and we're currently about to break ground on garage condos in my community. So um, I am happy to learn from you guys and share my experiences, and um, thank you for having me. What's a garage condo? Yes, I was going to ask that. What's a garage condo? So garage condos are individually owned units in a complex. Um, They are gated, secured, and they're quite large. So we have, they're extra big, like 14-foot tall doors, um, garage doors, um, 23 uh, tall ceilings. You can have a mezzanine. You can have, some of them are are, uh, have the ability to have a bathroom. But we have a clubhouse, so it's a community. So we have a clubhouse that has a little kitchenette. It has a a boardroom. It has a beautiful fireplace and a place for people to commune and have community, sense of community together. There's also two bathrooms that are handicapped accessible. And we are selling these. Um, We uh, released secretly um the the list and it got out so we have nine uh, only nine left and we haven't even broken ground in there basically um they start at one hundred forty nine thousand, go up to 279 thousand hoa fees a hundred dollars and it includes security snow removal gated um and then also uses the free use of the clubhouse for all the members we have a tv studio going in we have a um a race car company uh buying one of the units we have someone who deals with luxury like cars, uh, collector cars. We have a guy who just has lots of boats. Um, we have someone who um, they're oh, they, they're living in downtown, so they need a place to you know put their stuff because they're living in a condo downtown. So we we are selling them. We're we're retaining a few of them, but but they're for sale. So it's kind of like a self storage slash contractor uh, workroom warehouse uh, sort of situation that you can buy instead of having having to rent. Yeah, it's a non it's a non public facing. You can have a business there. You just have to be non public facing, or you can have storage. Um, we have people that are building it out to. I don't like the word bad cave, but if there's a man cave. Mine will be like a she shed. I don't know. <laughs> be so. We have people that are customizing their units, and um, I have someone who's a designer who wants to use it to showcase her um, her art. Oh, cool! I yeah, I've I've been hearing that sort of the con the the contractors. Uh, sort of like race car people, all these sort of in, in, industrial um, last mile sort of people for warehouses, they just need a place to run their business. They don't need to face the, the 
a lot of times the public, they just need a place to yeah. store their stuff. And, yeah, and I know. think the, the issue in Washington state was, you know, years ago, you can give, you couldn't give away warehouse space, but with the, um, the legally of marijuana in Washington state, everyone took up all the um, storage units. So, and all the warehouses and there's, there's nothing available for anyone to go. And so we had a really nice warehouse and it had a beautiful yard and we put all our stuff in it and the construction material and, uh, I'm a residential commercial, so I do residential and commercial, and I'm staging stuff in there. And then the state came by and said, uh, "Eminent Domain, we're taking your warehouse for the new North-South Freeway Exchange. Goodbye." <laughs> so we fought them for a year, and they won. But we did get our price. We had to pay for a secondary appraisal. So we had a bunch of money, and we're like looking around, couldn't find anything. So we thought, if we can't find it, we'll build it. We have experience doing that, so we're really excited. And um, that's the first phase. We just bought the big, huge. Uh, acreage next to us so that'll be the second phase that sounds awesome i think that's yeah that, that that's going to take off i think that's going to be the hot new thing is industrial spaces and and you know finding commercial spots for all these small businesses people living leaving their nine to fives and, and working for themselves doing things on fiverr task rabbit all that stuff they, they just need a place to store things yeah i think that's the second time i've heard that today about industrial well it's really a wave of the future and what's really interesting is that you can see the airport from us so if you're flying into spokane we're at spokane international airport people fly in and they go to Coeur d'Alene, which is a huge resort town and they have you know they're pretty bougie they so they can leave their car there they can have it uh to store their stuff because a lot of people snowbird so they go away in the winter but they need to be able to get their car and they don't want to have an uber take them home for an hour and they don't want to leave it at the airport so they can buy a unit put their car there and just use it to commute in and out so cool so cool real estate's so fascinating um okay so i'm um, real clinton tom real quick i'm going to go to our first question asker here ravikiran uh, hi. hi yes hi nice to join you guys and i see uh, you guys are doing a really good job investing in real estate and rental properties kudos on that and uh, i've just started i'm uh, of 32 years old and i've just started on investing in such uh, a platform and i'm starting in india actually uh, the in the the buying to uh, rental ratio, uh, what I see for the residential is uh, in terms of dollars, uh, say uh, USD, uh, I mean, it is uh, 102,000 uh, uh, 102, uh, USD for the purchase and just the monthly rental of $323 as for the residential. And uh, similarly, when I look for the industrial, uh, it's uh, some sort to be if I invest 102 thousand uh, usd um the the uh, the rental i would say maybe around uh, 1200 dollars so uh, when i look at the us uh, us market of the re uh, real estate and the rental properties how what do you suggest to to go with in in particular with with respect to india what what sort of financing can you get in india what are the rates and the terms uh, in terms of the mortgage, uh, home loan, it's around the 7%. Is it like a 30-year fixed or is it a five-year arm or how are they structured? Uh, it, uh, it depends on uh, maybe it's a five-year or 30 years. It, can, it depends on how, how, how flexible you are with the, uh, the return uh, uh, of the mortgage loan. And, and, and then how much down payment are you required to put down? And then... Down payment would be of 20%. 
Okay. And so it sounds like you have similar loan products. Um, and, and so to me, it's, it, that's your biggest tool is your financing. Um, yes. So uh, if, if I, I don't, unless you want to diversify and have money in America, that could be the deciding factor. But I, I don't think there's one that's better than the other. Um, people are always going to need a place to live whose economy and I guess landlord laws and things like that might be your deciding factor. But it sounds like that, I mean, you're, you're getting pretty good numbers in India, if I heard you correctly. Um, yes. Yeah, it sounded like basically 100000 for the place and 1200 a month for rent is what I heard. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, that's $100,000 for uh, buying, purchase, and uh, maybe around $300 per month. Oh, okay, okay. Cash flow. 300 cash flow? Yeah. yeah. No, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I think I think I think either works. Why don't Why not do both? Mm. To me, if you're going to invest long distance, you got to find one rock star. You got to find one person with boots on the ground that's a rock star. That could either be your real estate agent, a property manager, a mortgage lender, or closing attorney. These are all partners in the deal. Just find one rock star in the town that you want to invest in. They're going to introduce you to all the other rock stars in town. That's rock stars hang out with other rock stars. So. Um, just find one person that you trust, leverage all their relationships. They're going to hook you up. They'll say, use this person, use that person, use this contractor. And if you trust that person, just ride their coattails to success. Okay. Okay. And uh, one last question. Uh, How do you differentiate the the residential property and the industrial property? And what do you comment on those? Residential is uh, defined here as... um, four units and below. Uh, So Mm -hmm. one, two or three, four units uh, buildings that's residential, commercials, five units and more. And then industrials typically has a um, a certain type of business um, designation for it. Uh, Only more more like heavy machinery and equipment is sort Mm -hmm. of um, a business for industrial. Okay, okay, okay. No, I was looking in terms of the rental properties. Okay. Yeah. So that, yeah. So, I mean, you, you can rent out industrial properties, um, but you can also rent, rent out commercial properties. Um, but yeah. the, the numbers you're getting in India are really, really good. Um, those are numbers that you can find with some, uh, you know, sort of hunting uh, here in America. Um, okay. But um, I, I, I guess I didn't, is your question, what, which is better residential or industrial? I, I think that probably, uh, I usually put that back on on you and say, "What are you more excited about?" Because you're going to be successful in things. That yeah, you're ex- because uh, yes, yeah. I'm more excited about the industrial property because if I invest a hundred k dollars, the monthly rental I I would receive is around thousand dollars. Okay, but when it comes to a, a residential, if I invest a hundred k thousand dollars, then the monthly uh, rental I would be receiving around three hundred dollars. So in that respect, industrial is always uh, ahead of uh, uh, residential. But when it comes to a resale value of the property, residential is always expensive and industrial does not carry much. Well, you're always going to have someone who needs a place to live and there's always going to be someone who needs a place to buy. There might not always be an industrial company looking for a place to rent at the exact same time you've got a vacant place. So that's the Mm -hmm. reason why um, the the sale is always going to be different. There's more risk in industrial 
um, and finding that replacement tenant. Okay. Okay. Understand. Okay. Yeah. That's all I have. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alan. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe Marianne can add to that. Uh, this is, sounds like more of her, her, her alley than mine. Okay. Uh, Marianne, uh, do you have any comments on this? Marianne, are you on Yeah, no, I'm available. I'm trying to like get. I'm trying to get my mic just to uh, to uh, yeah unmute. Um, I do you want to if if you have any questions, I would prefer to. I want to talk offline. So if you want to DM me, DM me, I can help you. Um, I I don't know enough to to explain it publicly. <laughs> so okay. um, with with if that's okay, I mean you know. So okay, yeah. okay, yeah. I'll drop a message to you. Okay, thank you. I don't like to. Sometimes I just don't like to share things off the cuff like that. I, I prefer to have a little more research done. Okay, sure, I understand. Cool. Thank you. Um, all right. So invisible ink, I'm going to go to you in one second and then Luke after that, but Tom and Clint, you've both had your hands up. I think Clint, you were first. Yeah. For our American counterpart and for Marianne, I was just down in your neck of the woods last week, uh, through work and we were looking at, uh, industrial, which we were talking about. And one of the things that we've noticed and wonder if there might be an opportunity is there's a lot of big bay warehouse. And it tends to be focused heavily on distribution and large distribution companies. And is there an opportunity to go smaller? So, for example, buy a large distribution facility and then redemise it down into smaller units and target owner-occupiers. And part of what jumped out at us there is when you look inside the windows of these inventory spaces, a lot of them only seem to be you know, 30 to 40% full. And so the question becomes, are they just crazy or is that the only space they can get? And so they take it even though it's suboptimal, but it may present an opportunity to go smaller and charge a higher rate per square foot. So very interested in what you both think about that. Well, I can say that that's, you, you hit it right on the head. Like literally there's so much opportunity. They took a, I don't know, the building was gigantic. It was Triumph Composite Systems and they built um, parts for airplanes and they, they're breaking it up now because no one needs that huge amount of space. So that's right now it's for storage, but they're going to compartmentalize it and have individual, you know, smaller units, big different customized units. And we do have an industrial park here, but it's really full and they have all different sizes um, and configurations. But you know what the one thing that we need is frozen storage. There's really only one and they are elitist and they have an attitude. I mean, if someone was smart, they would build some cold storage because that is where the money is. And there is only, we are like, there's like nothing. There's no competition. There's like one. And so, and they do have an attitude. So you could really dive into that space and do very well if you wanted to go, you know, big and, and take some of these facilities and retrofit them with cold storage. Um, if you guys are in Washington, check out saltbox.com. Uh, uh, they've got a place in Dallas, Atlanta, Seattle, Los Angeles, and Denver. But uh, they they are, I think what you're explaining, Clint, uh, the idea where you basically can rent out a garage bay and then there's shared like Wi-Fi lobby, kind of like a WeWork for industrial space is, is how I would describe it. All right. I got a message from my husband that as a fire protection engineer, he can help you with all of your life safety needs. Um, okay. So Tom, you had your hand up. 
I had my hand up so long that I forgot what my question was. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. You were on a plane. I'm always worn out after that. I, I will tell you this. I uh, Just to piggyback off Marianne and Alan, I, I've mapped out everything that I'm doing in, in 2022, but um, I'm starting to set up my 2023 stuff. And um, I am actively looking at commercial spaces um, and moving away from um, traditional residential. So I put some applications in. We'll see what pans out. Um, I do own the one commercial space right now, and it's one of my favorite rents to collect. So I, I see the attractiveness to that, and I see lots of potential in the markets that I'm in. Why, Tom, are, you that, um, why are you moving away? or moving into more commercial? Uh, just like Alan was breaking it down, I mean, I can put, you know, I, I bought two properties over the last week, and one of, one of them was a $52,000 cash purchase, and one of them was a $25,000 cash purchase with about a $20,000 renovation budget. Um, one of them is turnkey, already rent collecting. One of them needs a lot of work. So if I'm going to spend, you know, 95000 I would rather, like Alan was saying earlier, put 95000 down on a much bigger project than what I am currently doing, because those are two smaller projects that are holding up $95,000 of my money right now. Um, I'll, I'll jump on that. Uh, what what I, you'll learn too is your expenses really scale down the bigger the property. Um, you spread out that money across two houses. You got two roofs. You got two pest control bills. Two landscaping bills. Uh, condense that into a much bigger property. Um, obviously, you got one roof now. One one driveway to clear snow whatever it may be, your expenses go down. Property management, especially if it's out of town, a property manager gets way more excited about going to one address that has 10 units instead of driving to 10 different houses. And I found sort of once I hit the 10 threshold, I started getting discounts. So I was paying a property management 10,000, I'm sorry, 10%. And then once I sort of scaled up, the more properties I got, then he became more reliant on me and dropped his price to 7%. And then another one offered 6%. And then I had this bidding war for my businesses. Um, the plumber who um, would sporadically show up now shows up all the time because he's got 10 units to take care of. Um, and now I'm one of his best customers. Same with the landscaper and the contractor. So all these sort of benefits come when you sort of scale up as well that I didn't realize until it started happening to me. Definitely. That's how we feel about, about our new six unit for sure. Um, I want to give Invisible Ink. You've had you've been here waiting for a while. Sorry about that. Um, no worries. Thank you so much. Hello, all. Good evening. Um, it's very motivating to hear all your conversations, but uh, with all the latest changes that are going on, Fed rates increasing and recession talks in play. Um, so I'm a little confused on if I should move forward with my Tennessee studio. Um, it's my very first investment. Um, the closing is in July, end of July. So I'm really confused if should if I should move forward with it or just, you know, back off and lose that 2k title that i paid so can you please share your thoughts on how the strategy should be i have a fixed income meaning from nine to five job it's um like i don't have any debts or anything so it's very stable it's just that uh first time investment is really 
you know it's shaky for me um i'm not sure with all these things going on i need some guidance from you guys so is it a residential studio that you're buying to rent out it's a short term rental um they have both uh, residential and investment uh, condos there in the same area so i chose the investment in it's a studio basically and looks like i can um, rotate it for short term rentals and 18% would be the uh, uh, property manager fee it seems so uh, i mean i got this contact from my real estate agent and she said uh, i mean her cash flow details and all they look very promising but again i'm little shaky with all the things going on is this in tennessee did you ask us did you come on before i can't remember yes yes I okay did. okay yeah. okay okay yep okay it's i remember still, you yeah it's still <clears throat> going on and the closing mm-hmm. the end of july um at first time when i asked you guys i was very confident and but with the latest changes going on i'm little shaky so what are your thoughts there as an experienced real estate investors i'll jump on this um i'll say uh you if you've already got it under contract and you've paid the earnest money you probably already have a fixed probably locked in your interest rate so if if the interest rates not change you not yet well, we'll go ahead no. and do that I, you know sooner rather than later um and then you you'll know your numbers once they're locked in is it going to cash flow what can you rent for um if you're worried about inflation you want real estate debt so the way to think about it this way is um you find a dollar in the parking lot um to, to tomorrow you can take that dollar and go buy a, a, a one dollar snickers bar um or you can mail in that dollar to pay off um a, a dollar off your mortgage balance um in 30 years or let's just say 15 years um inflation's crazy over the next five six years um and your dollar's not worth as less but you fall you find yourself at the same parking lot you find a dollar um and you're like oh i have that same decision do i send this dollar off to pay off a dollar of my mortgage or do i go get a snickers bar and you walk into the the gas station and you say um how much is the snicker bars and they're going to say well it's seven dollars now and so you're like well i have a dollar i can't get i can't buy my snickers but i can still mail that dollar into my and pay off a full dollars amount on my mortgage that is um that is why you want as much long-term fixed real estate debt as possible and not pay off your mortgage early and because your dollars are going to be worth more now than later but you, they're going to be worth the same uh on your mortgage even though they're going to have less purchasing power out in the real world does that make sense yeah yeah So so all so all those worries should be solved this you are on the path to solving the worries of the economy and the interest rates and inflations and all that stuff lock in that lock your interest rate that problem solved get a 30 year fixed debt your worry about inflation solved and um take us all out to uh dinner and 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 we'll we'll, we'll, we'll call it even Oh, for sure. Uh, I wouldn't have worried this much if the interest rates uh, would have been locked up much earlier. But the bank, uh, the mortgage guy, asked me to wait until sixty days. You know, closer to the closing date. So. Okay. So yeah, you do have to do that. Yeah. Uh, or you can pay extra not to do that. So. Um, um, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, one one question to the Invisible Inc. Uh, uh, what was the uh, rate of? Uh, commission you said to the agent it's 80% 18 18 okay okay
when you say agent it's property manager not not the real estate agent okay yeah and i think we talked about this before 18 is really good for a short term rental like really really good that's like that's like ac getting six on his on yeah. his long terms <laughs> okay that was invisible ink luke is luke still here hey luke sorry hey. you've been waiting a long time hey you are next yeah i'd like to thank you all of you for taking the time out of your night to uh to do this is amazing that you know this group of people is is taking time out of their evening to contribute like this um my first question i guess is um to anybody who wants to answer why did you do your first deal and how did you find it i'll take it if that's okay i did my first deal at 21 i didn't want to pay rent anymore um acl let you go after me but uh i was a senior in college it was a $90,000 duplex. I rented out the downstairs for 600. My house payment with mortgage and tax and insurance was $738, so I could live upstairs for $138 and I couldn't find anywhere that I could live for $138. So that is why I did it and um that's why I continued to house hack through my 20s. Yeah, I um I had dreams to be a stand-up comedian when I thought I was funny uh and I was living in New York City and I was working a 9 to 5 and then I um went to the comedy club till 3 o'clock in the morning and I was not getting any sleep and I was terrible at comedy and at my 9 to 5 so I said I I, re- I figured out man if I buy five properties I can rent those out and those five properties will cover my day job income and then i can just focus on comedy um full time and then i realized i was um much better um at real estate than i was at comedy and it paid much better so i just ended up doing real estate full time once i left my day job yeah i, I want to hear you know how to do it right now alan but i want to hear your best bit i want to hear your best joke that you had oh uh, comedy <laughs> you probably have to like search back and think about it for a little bit but i would love to hear if you have like uh a solid joke that you had when you were doing well, your career the, the 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 biggest thing i'm known for I, i've been on six uh different reality tv shows uh because uh the way that they What? cast real real estate uh what way they cast reality tv shows is that um they get all the girls from modeling agencies and they get all the guys from comedy clubs uh and then they throw them on tv to to make good television so um <laughs> uh unfortunately reality tv doesn't pay anything either so uh, uh i'm glad i i fell into real estate <laughs> that's still a good joke by the way man i like it that's funny it's just not a joke it's true <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, AC, I, I think you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marianne, go ahead and are you going to answer Luke's question? Well, as far as my how I got started, um I did my first deal at 22. Um I sold it 3 years later for 3 and a half times the amount and I got hooked. I owned fine properties before I was 30. I bought my first rental with my girlfriend. We fixed it up and uh bought it owner contract, sold it owner contract, made a lot of money. Um I currently own 80 doors and or units doors whatever and uh, single family apartment buildings we just built apartment building I love real estate I dream real estate I do also work in the film industry and movie industry I'm a location manager for the industry just got done with a film this last fall and I'm also um the uh, vice president of outdoor sales for a electric vehicle charging company so if you do have any locations 
We're actively looking. My goal is to close on 20 uh, deals this year. So we're looking for high traffic areas, two, two to 20 uh, charging stations. The difference between us and Tesla, we pay ground leases and we give revenue sharing. So it's very profitable for the business um, for the owner of the of the property, uh, so please DM me if you have anything. I'm I'm very serious. Uh, I'm going to ICSC, which is the shopping center convention, starts in Vegas this Sunday. I leave tomorrow. Been doing that forever. We own a commercial brokerage. My husband and I am also a residential agent. So that's me. Clint, are you answering Luke's question too? Uh, sure, I can do that. But uh, I just want to highlight for people if they're if you live in an area where they're filming television shows getting your show slotted or getting your home slotted in as somewhere where they do filming absolutely a blockbuster way to earn revenue the show will pay you very high dollars and while they're filming in your house they'll put you up in a really nice hotel and give you a per diem for meals and entertainment while you're in said hotel so we've done that with our personal house for commercials and have it on a list to try to get on as many shows as we can. Uh, I think, Lauren, we made 5000 over a weekend. So it was, it was pretty cool. So that was fun. The Why I got into real estate is it's the coolest, sexiest, easiest, simplest way to get fabulously wealthy over a long enough, patient enough period of time. So you can't be in a rush. You just be calm and you buy. And over time, like just do the math, right? Let's say you just appreciate, let's say we buy one property for a million bucks and it appreciates 3% per year, right? That's $30,000 a year. And if you're, if you're paying off the mortgage over a 20 year time frame, you got another 50 grand in mortgage. So you're getting 80 grand with no appreciation on that asset. And that mortgage is being paid by someone else. Like it's crazy when you actually think that you're allowed to do this. And not only is that an 8% return, Lauren, that's assuming no debt. I mean, listen to Alan and me, like we're leveraging the crap out of that thing. Right? So that million dollars, we've maybe got 50 grand in, maybe 100, maybe zero. But even if you have 100 grand in and you're getting 80 back with no appreciation, it's an, I don't know about you, but that just seems like insanity to me. And I don't know any other ask, asset class that can do it. And I don't know why more people don't think this way. It seems like such intuitive common sense to me. Uh, sorry, I get heated and excited and really enthusiastic for people getting rich with real estate. I'm going to pass it back to you. <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. I mean, I had the experience that like Tom and Marianne had and, and Alan too. I started, I went under contract on my first house at 22 and closed at 23, but it was just like, cause I needed a place to live. And then I just had a roommate cause I'd always had a roommate. Right. And so it was house hacking, but you know, I didn't know what it was. Maybe Brandon Turner was, had coined it by then, I guess in 2012, he probably did. But what happened was I saw the appreciation and I saw that my what I was paying to live was like way less than my roommate was paying me to live. And that it's what I kind of needed Clint, like that proof, that proof, like to, before I really saw like, Oh, I need to do more of this. 
Um, okay, any more for Luke, or can we go to Zach? Those are great questions. Those are great answers. I appreciate all of those. Um, maybe I'll touch with Maria because she touched on something that I'm super interested in. I live in northern Ohio, and I see more Teslas in my area you know, every month. So the thought, I've always thought about the charging stations and things like that and how to get into that kind of game. So I'll, I'll follow up with Maria on that, and thank you guys all for your contribution there. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for the question. Um, okay, but Zach. Quick, uh, there is oh, a company out there that does Airbnb for, uh, like, I forget the name of it, where if you have a charger at your house, uh, you can Airbnb your charger kind of thing, uh, just the charger itself. So um, uh, I don't know if that's what you're saying, but I, I love that. That extra way to make some income for, for all you people with, with a exterior uh, power plug. <laughs> that's awesome okay zach you were next and then coach w and then bryce awesome thanks folks yeah the, my question's mostly for alan because i feel like i'm up here every week talking about my, my situation with you guys but um alan first of all do you consult because i feel like i could talk to you for ages and it doesn't feel fair to do it for free <laughs> sure uh we can do it now publicly or uh yeah um i can have you on my podcast but i'm um, happy to help you out i I wake up every day trying to find someone to talk real estate with. All right. I will definitely shoot you a DM. But my my question here has to do with house hacking. I had just spent a little while. I'm 25, make pretty good income. I work completely remotely. Um, and my I'm just outside of the Manhattan area. So my rent is through the roof. Trying to get into my first deal. And I just settled on like a Midwest location. Um, but then, I, you know, I was talking to the folks in this panel and I was like, House hacking sounds like the way to go. What are your top criteria for how, for finding a house hack? Because my biggest issue with finding a house hack is I'm, I have really expensive tastes. So like if I'm thinking about moving into a place, I want to be able to be happy living there. But then when it comes to being able to afford the place, it's, you know, it, it's uh, a bit of a mix. So I'm just curious, like, what are your top criteria for finding a good house hack? Yeah. Well, would you rather have like a house of your dreams at 25 or 35? Yeah, definitely thirty-five. Okay, thirty-five. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Okay. Well, then that then that answers your question. You said you have high taste. Don't have high taste for the next ten years. You're you're when you buy a real estate investment is completely different than buying a primary residence. When you're buying a primary residence, you're buying a lifestyle. That's what you're buying. You're buying your how close you are to the subways and the grocery stores and the park and the, your work. Um, and that you're willing to pay extra for, uh, premium for that. It's not a business decision. It's a lifestyle decision. I'm not saying it's a wrong decision. You, there, there should be some lifestyle consideration in the house act. But the opposite of that is real estate investing, where it's 100% a business decision. It's just what, how sexy does it look on the spreadsheet? I don't care if it's an hour from the subway or 10 minutes from the subway. Which one makes me more money? That's the one I'm buying, right? So um, I would get out of the mode that I think the Tom got in, Lauren got in, that I was in in my early 20s, uh, where we lived way below your means. You know, I lived from the age of 22 to age of 28, um, house hacking in a room that had no windows. I took the smallest room in a six bedroom duplex um, because that was the hardest one to rent out. And I could get more money by renting out the master bedroom and the two other units uh, than me taking it myself. Um, and 
um, for, I don't know if you're single and you're like, oh, I'm trying to find a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever the situation might be. But like, I promise you, any girl that came over that I was trying to impress, they, they, they liked the idea I owned the house, not that I had the shittiest room in the house. And, <laughs> I love it. And, yeah, and, and so now, you know, uh, my house at thirty at forty four uh, that I'm building now, like like all these things compounded over the last twenty two years. I've been real estate investor for twenty two years. I'm forty four now, and uh, you know now I'm building my dream house. You know, I, I, it's and it's going to be amazing. And it's like, man, if I would have tried to live large in my twenties, I would not be where I am right now. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I'm I'm currently living on like right around 50% of my income. So I totally get the, the live below your means thing. Um, but it's, it's great to hear it in that context with the, you know, uh, t- basically like a short term home while you're working yeah, on building yeah. that portfolio. Well, so, so here's the, here's what you got to do. This is what I do. And this is what I think you should do. You, you don't need to say, I need to buy a house. You need to say, I need to buy five houses. And I've got five years to buy five houses before I turn 30. You have a clear goal. Now you got to buy 30, Five houses before you're 30. That's your goal. And um, how are you going to do it? Well, you could just start with let's buy one house a year. Um, and uh, but it, you, you're if you're getting you're only getting older, so maybe you should buy one house in the next three months. And then uh, after you buy that house in the next three months, um, start looking for the next one. Maybe it takes a year to buy that second one. Maybe it takes six months to buy that second one. And before you know it, you're going to have five houses. And you might be 28, you might be 29, you might be 32, but you're further along than you would have by waiting to buy a house now for the right market, the right interest rate, the right opportunity. I don't know uh, what, what about my job. Go, just, just go buy a house. If you're near Manhattan, anywhere within a three-hour drive of Manhattan, you'll have 30 applicants to rent it out within three minutes of, of posting it. Like you're, you're never going to go broke by having a vacant property in. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for coming on again, Zach. It's, it's nice to see you on here. And I think I say this like pretty often where if you really hate it that, you know, you can, things can be undone, you know, very few things are permanent. I mean, especially when you're like 25, you know, I mean, children obviously, but you know, it's just you you can you can unwind things if you're actually miserable, if you actually hate it. Like if you move in somewhere and there's tenants in your backyard and you really, really, really don't like it, you know, sell the house or move out and keep it. And, you know, then you don't have to deal with that again. That's That's been my philosophy. And I'm not afraid to undo things. Um, Coach W, sorry, you've been waiting a while. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. Thank you for letting me ask this question here. Um, just I, I kind of have... Uh, I don't know, a non-traditional career path that involves moving around the country quite a bit. And I've been very hesitant to buy any sort of property. And actually, Monday, I closed on my first one. Uh, My main question is is regarding a single family primary residence. How do people feel about purchasing a property in an area that's like economically depressed and maybe doesn't have population increase, but is a good deal? Like, how do people feel about that? Um, Yeah, go, go for it. I should probably speak on this because I do that. Half my portfolio is in Toledo, Ohio. So I have, you know, the houses that I bought last week were a $52,000 house and a $25,000 house. So I have nothing but cash flow in Toledo. Once I've invested my money and I've put the houses back together and I've 
done some improvements. I cash flow there. I don't see the appreciation. So yep. you need to go into it with that. Where where Dallas, anything that I buy in Dallas just appreciates, 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 and I have very little cash flow. So that's my, you know, when I describe the two markets that I'm in, I have a cash flow market and I have a, an appreciation market. And, you know, both have their pros and cons. I'm I'm making more money on a $26,000 investment than a $400,000 house that I own in Dallas, Texas. How much do you rent that $26,000 house for? I rent it for 795 dollars and I rent the, the $400,000 house rents for $2,250 a month. Right. So that you'll, you'll, you'll make back that $25,000 in about, what, three years, five years? Uh, and then it's completely risk-free. Right. And I've already made my money back. Yeah. So if, it, if the Toledo goes to... Um, zero occupancy because of a zombie uh, attack. Um, you're you're not out any money, kind of thing. But but that twenty five thousand dollars, when he's talking about appreciation, is is probably not going to turn into two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But the four hundred thousand dollars house could turn into eight hundred thousand. So you're going to get tremendous wealth, coach, uh, through appreciation. But that is completely speculative. You can't really predict that. So if you're just starting out and congrats on your first house, I, I would say go for the guarantee cash flow. Um, and once you kind of get a couple of good cash flow rentals, um, then maybe spread out and, and go for the, the appreciation plan. Yeah. And I guess part of the part of the reason, too, I've looked for over a year and a half and I was super patient. Like I'm looking for something with some sweat equity. Like I did construction for several years, so I can pretty much handle the remodel and the rental myself. Um, with some exceptions, but, you know, I waited and waited and waited and probably put only four offers in on certain homes in the last year and a half. And I finally got a house for $39 a square foot. So, you know, basically paying the flooring is essentially what it needs. So I feel good. And I, I probably, I purchased it and there's probably $40,000 in equity in there. And then the, the comps are probably around 110. I think I paid 53 for the house. So we'll get her, we'll get her taken care of. I just, like I said, coaching, I mean, I've lived in Los Angeles, Kentucky, uh, Montana, South Dakota, Ohio, and uh, Southwest Virginia probably in the last seven years. So it's just kind of tough. You know, I mean, I didn't want to necessarily get hooked to something and have to deal with it from across the country, I guess, if that makes sense. So this is kind of more, I guess, the way I'm looking at it is more of a live-in flip or, or rent it out when I leave type situation. So Yeah, well, if you're, you're coaching, you're probably near a university, and I'm sure there's, uh, you know, student housing is evergreen in terms of uh, having tenants. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, AC. And Bryce. Cool. Thanks. Uh, thanks for doing this. This is the first time I've seen this on Twitter. So I followed a couple of you and it's been awesome to listen in. Uh, my question was focused, I guess, selfishly around where I'm at. So I didn't know about any real estate investing until like until midway through COVID um, when I realized I was in trouble if I lost my job. So in nine months, I ended up buying two properties. I got a house hack and I Airbnb that house hack and I'm moving out of that. Uh, and then I also have another Airbnb rental, which is out of state. So that one's ca- that one's more cash flow focused. Uh, and I'm in Austin now house hacking. So that'd be more appreciation. But the reason why I wanted to ask this is because you guys were talking about um, someone, I think it was the frugal gay who had just bought two properties, one for 50 and one for 25 K I am getting a couple big commission checks coming up. So I'm like, 
how do I plan this? Do I go for a house hack? That's like, would you focus on just getting the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Airbnb numbers. So like I'm planning to run it on Airbnb and make money from it. Um, when I move out after a year, but do you focus on like, just get that first, just get the next one. And you might want to, I might want to put more into it, um, to make sure I get a better property or like, would you still try to save up to get two of them pretty quickly? Like, I know there's no perfect answer to that, but how would you, I guess, think about deploying your cash to maximize uh, the commission I get? Alan, do you want to answer that? Oh, I, I thought that was addressed to you. I'll, I'll it, let you tell it. It, yeah. it, was, it was, but, and, and if it's me, I'm more focused on the better property. So I would go to the higher end property or an Airbnb type property. The 25,000 was a one-off that I'm doing with uh, my contractor and the deal that I'm setting up right now for the end of the year is a, is a one-off. I'm, I'm more focused on single family than multifamily. I own both, but again, I'm, I'm switching after that, but I would more go towards a higher end property than a quick try and set up two properties. Alan, what's your thoughts? Well, because it's short-term rental, you're you're selling an experience. So to me, that seems more of a location play. If it was a buy-and-hold long-term rental, then I would try to do multiple properties. But that's um, that's a different product type. Maybe Lauren uh, is the, the the expert here on on this answer. Yeah. So when it comes to Airbnbs, what my husband and I have kind of decided to do is go a little more with density. So we have one property that has four units, four Airbnbs, and then we have one that has six units, and it's um, three long-term rentals, three short-term rentals. And I, so I would go with like one property, but more units if I could. For all those reasons, Alan said earlier. I don't, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if you were on here earlier, Bryce, and he was talking about, you know, we have like one roof, we have one landscaper. Yeah, that's what sparked my question. You know. Yeah, we have two cleaners. We don't have one cleaner because there's three units that are, you know, SDRs right now. Um, but you know, we have like we have one insurance policy, right? We have we do we do have seven utilities. That's that's just what that is, right? But you know, so I I like that. I, I and what I like about it too is from a recession perspective, we are I think a little more recession proof even on the STR side of things because we have the kind of payment like we paid 585 for this six unit some people pay that for one right so they can only go down so far on price but in a recession or something people aren't traveling as much we can cut pretty good and tread water for a really 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 long time and even actually make still make pretty good money so that's something that we really like when it comes to when it comes to airbnbs and so i would i would take what you have leverage it and, and buy maybe a bunch of units so you you said you rent out some of them short term and some of them long term in the same complex, or did I miss? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It's three and three. And so you, uh, Lauren, part of that is so you have income if you don't have rentals. Is that correct? No, it was a couple of things. One was, uh, you know, logistically we didn't want to set up six at the same time. Um, the other side of it, it's three one bedroom units and three two bedroom units. Our other Airbnbs, most of them are like one bedroom. So we thought, okay, let's get some two bedrooms. So we only took possession of the two bedroom units and flipped to those, figuring we would make more with those. The other the other part of it is the way the building is set up is those three that we didn't take, those three that are still LTRs, they're like 
around like the yard and the yard is just not beautiful. And we just didn't want to spend $40,000 on the yard right now. So there were kind of a lot of those reasons. That's how it started, Tom. How it's going is, yeah, we kind of like the idea of, because those can pay the mortgage. The LTRs can pay the mortgage. That does not include the taxes and insurance because we we sell or financed, so we don't have those escrowed. But they can pay the mortgage on that, and we actually have a spare lot for extra parking. And they So the mortgages on those those two things can be paid with just the LTRs. So mm-hmm. as long as we generate enough to pay, like, you know, the utilities and the taxes and insurance, we're not going to be underwater. And the odds of it even getting that bad are, are pretty low. That makes sense. Cool. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Good luck. Sounds awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Austin, man, that appreciation is insane. Well, so a lot of people here are doing like, instead of long-term, they're doing 30 day minimums. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was looking at a duplex and it was like, Oh, I could probably do that here. But then you see a single family that's a little more upscale in a better neighborhood, more expensive. And I was like, Oh, I could also do it here. So that's kind of what I was debating, but I, I like that idea that you have. Yeah, I have a duplex too. That's that's the kind of a long term, short term. One's long term, one's short term for that same kind of reason. You know, I just we we you know we're trying not to be like afraid of a recession or anything, but you know, we'll we sleep pretty good at night knowing we have kind of a mix, and we've actually just kind of actually mixed our properties. You know, one one property we live on, so we're the long term people, and then we have short terms on it. One is a long-term side, short-term side of a duplex, and then the 60 unit is half and half. So we think it kind of makes us a little little diversified. But we may, we may, that's why I was asking Alan earlier, we may someday go go full STR on the 60 unit, especially once we pay it off in a couple of years. Um, okay, so we are at basically 90 minutes. Are there any last questions? Uh, no? Lauren, why would you yeah. pay off? That that sixplex. Because I, I uh, I'm effing up. I'm effing up. Um, <laughs> you know, we're we're struggling. We're we're you know, and I know Tom's dealing with this too. We're you were probably where you were when you were 28, and we're yeah. like, well, we could we could kind of be done. So we we but we're go- what we're gonna do is we're treating our our we're treating our one duplex as a savings account to pay off the six unit, and then so we'd have. The paid off six unit, just some really good cash flow. I could get property management at that point or, you know, totally outsource everything because I wouldn't need as high of returns if it was paid off. Obviously, there's a balloon and stuff at that point um, as well. You know, but we talk all the time about, you know, I don't know what we can do with as far as the T12 with the STRs. But I mean, the amount of equity we could break off if we can make that work in five years that might be too tempting to pay it off at that point. I really don't know, but it, it's a it's a thought that we have just to make things really easy and just just be just be done at an, at enough, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Alan, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot you a DM, but because I don't want public shaming, but I um, you will be surprised what debt I'm carrying on my twenty doors. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, meaning you have way too much equity in there. It's not enough debt. <laughs> well, yeah, Lauren. Lauren knows. Yes. Um, well, to me, I had the reason I sold my. I had the same product type you had, the, the thirty to fifty thousand dollars single family homes. I couldn't get debt on it, uh, which is why I sold it because I, I, I 
I had way too much equity and I, I wanted to leverage it. And um, I just couldn't find that bank that would, that would do it. So um, it, sometimes you're, you have no choice. Alan, I would make you proud, brother. Good. Yeah, I, I know I, that. I, I, I think I have enough debt for Lauren and Tom and me. <laughs> and okay. uh, I might have mentioned the number to a family member once, and I think they were they started having heart palpitations. I know. I mean, I I have a million dollars in debt. Like, don't like I have a million dollars. Don't you have to shame me? Like, I, I have a good amount of debt, but like, still, that means my equity is like forty five percent. You know, so a million. It's, it's, my God, I know Aaron, you're you're just getting started. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just saying. I did cross. I did cross the seven figure debt mark. That's, <laughs> that's a big step. We got to get you up to, uh, you know, ideally for all of us, we're at ten or higher. I mean, then <laughs> then life's good. Yeah, I, I could I could get there. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. It's all about hey. It's all about enough. I have to decide, Alan, when I quit my full time job. Am I gonna make? Am I gonna pull an Alan Corey and become a real estate agent and be a full time real estate investor and, and all all of the above? Well, well, think of this way: you've got a million dollars debt. If you ten x it, like Clint says, you'll probably also be ten xing your cash flow. So uh, that's that's the mindset that Clint and I work in. It's yeah, the, the, you'll actually make more money going in debt. You're not you're not saving money. Like it, it's it's it's. There you go. I got a clap from Tom. Okay, good, good. good. <laughs> I'm saving work. I'm saving. Yeah. I'm saving work. I'm saving time. I'm saving. Yeah. I don't know. You know, work. I don't know. It's. I. Uh, I'm at that point where you know where I think you were where I've been hurtling towards this point for a while now, and we're here, and there, we're at yeah. an inflection point. I mean, there's there's no question. We're at. But, uh, but, we are. It's decision time. I, I'll, I'll stop pushing on it after this. But uh, <laughs> the, the the work comment. I mean, you 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 work towards. You making ten x comments or whatever you in your head is work. It's you outsource that. Is it the property management outsource that? Is it the online listings outsource that? Is it you know to me finding new properties? That was what I wanted to do in my free time. That was not right. Work. That was my that was what the fun. Let's go acquire a, a property. So um, that's that to me was never work. But um, you know if, if that is work for you, then I, I can I can see it. No, yeah, I don't know. It feels it feels like work, you know, with a nine to five sometimes. But my husband doesn't think we're ever going to stop. He thinks I'm he thinks I'm yeah. dreaming. Um, yeah. But we'll see. Um, yeah, Luke, what's up? I've never heard uh, quite so much praise for debt. That is quite uh, quite amazing to hear. So I'm just wondering, do I, do I have this wrong or right here? So you guys are are so excited for debt because you can borrow against this debt or. Why are we? Uh, why are we wanting to run up the debt here? Help yeah, we, that if you wouldn't mind. Okay, so, so yeah, uh, so think of any business uh, that 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 you can name. Uh, any tech startup, they they they're they're run on debt, right? They 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 borrowed money, and they're they're but people lend money to to create more money. Um, that's the mindset. It's not I'm personally getting in debt in my credit cards. It's I am buying a small business which is a house, and for me to buy that small business, whether I'm buying a McDonald's, which is a larger business, but I would buy a McDonald's with as little money down as possible, and the hamburgers would pay for my debt. And then I would go buy my second McDonald's, and I'd buy my third McDonald's, and all of a sudden I have 20 McDonald's, and, um, but, you know, and, and I'm the richest guy in town. Um, it's the same sort of thing. You're buying small businesses 
and that business is going to pay for itself. So you want to plant as many business seeds as you can over and over and over again. So take away that this is debt tied to my name and, and look at it as debt tied to a business. And you get an LLC, buy that, that, that house, it spits out cash. And if that LLC goes bankrupt, uh, oh, well, big deal. Like it, it won't. But if it does, you, that, that, that business fails. You personally don't fail because of it. I'm going to give you a different example as well, Luke. If you give me a billion dollars in debt and I go out and purchase $1 billion of real estate, even if that real estate doesn't cash flow. So that is the rent exactly equals the cost of the debt. And there's no capital appreciation on those assets, Luke. In 25 years, I will be a billionaire. So I started that exercise with a negative net worth of $1 billion. 25 years from now, I'm a billionaire. That is the simplest math that I look at. And I have worked for people who had this equation, right? One point, you know, the example I give a friend, 1.2 billion in assets on the balance sheet, 800 million in debt. Fast forward seven years, Vancouver real estate doubled. So that 1.2 became 2.4. The 700 in debt or the 800 in debt became 500. So they went from a few hundred thousand in net worth or a few hundred million, sorry, it's still big numbers, to over $2 billion net worth. And that was seven or eight years ago and we've probably doubled again. So that, that person understood debt and leverage in ways that Alan, me, Lauren, the way we're talking about, he made us seem like we we were just starting this game, and that's where you. Get I know, Clint. You actually, Clint actually wants a billion dollars of net worth. Like that's not. I mean, I'm sorry, of debt and and net worth, but debt first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, net, yeah, and net worth someday. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that example. If, if 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 whatever debt you have, as long as it's paying for itself and in, in an asset, a cash flowing asset, or breaking even that debt becomes your net worth eventually. You just got to wait. And I've never shared what, what that person did, but if, if we've got two minutes, I can share his methodology because the way he, he thought was just absolutely genius. One of, one of the things, so Lauren, I always talk about path of progress. Uh, he was an absolute master of it. But one of the other things he did was he bought very large commercial buildings and then he would put government tenants into them on long-term 10 to 20 year leases. And what he was, and then he would get uh, the debt on it would generally be pension funded. So when he looked at it, the way he described it was he was creating a bond because it was backed by the provincial or the federal government. So it was a bond and the bond coupon, if you will, was his rent income less his, cost of debt, which was low funds from the pension. And not only was it a, a government backed bond, but it was tied to appreciating real estate. And when you think of it that way, it's just, uh, I'm still in love with it 10 years later. 
Wait, so is this an, like affordable housing program? No, he would buy like uh, eight story concrete office building and put in like, uh, you know, most of you are in the US, put in like a state ministry, like Department of Wildlife or uh, the municipal police, and they'd take up a whole building and he'd sign a 20 year lease with them. That's awesome. So, so you say, hey, it, it, is the go- if the government can't pay its rent, we've probably got bigger issues yeah. than, uh, than my debt payment. Clint, do you and Alan know each other? I Probably Alan may not know that you're like the CFO of a real estate development company. No, this is our first time meeting tonight. Nice to meet you, Alan. Yeah, I, I feel like you're my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad we could introduce Alan to Stephen and Clint tonight. That's awesome. I know you already know some. All right, guys, let's wrap it up. We ran over time, but it was freaking well worth it. Alan, thank you so much for joining. I mean, everything from how you started to the House of Clowns, GP, LP, <laughs> selling 50 single families all at once because you couldn't finance them. Um, I loved kind of what you told us about what you would do if you were starting out, if you had $10,000, you know, thank you so much for coming on, answering our questions. You're obviously welcome back anytime. Guys, if you aren't following at the house of AC, you absolutely got to do it. This is going, this is again, it's being recorded. It'll be on the adulting is easy podcast feed in a couple of days. And we are here every Wednesday at 9 PM Eastern. Thanks a lot, guys. See you next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Lauren. This was great. Thanks, Alan. Bye.